it's starting to feel a little normal. This past week, one of the most amazing VBSs ever in the history of the world was pulled off here. We had people buzzing everywhere. We had people involved everywhere. And it felt like finally, after a year of inactivity, something was right again, right? We pulled that thing off. So many people did so many things. I can't even name you all. But it was a whole congregational event. I believe God was pleased with what was offered when you talk about Daniel and all that stuff. And then, and then now, we met again at 7.45 this morning for the early service. No more of that wimpy 8 o'clock stuff. It's now 7.45. What is wrong with you people? Anyway, that's what we do here. That's what we do here. And we, it's some more normalcy. And then between then and this service... We had Bible classes again where people actually were present and it's starting to feel more normal and it's perfect then to me for a time to evaluate our spiritual lives. As you're going to re-engage and re-enter all these things that can contribute and feed your spiritual life. It's time to reflect where is God in your life? Do some introspective reflection this morning. And the text is perfect for that. We're in 2 Samuel chapter 6. As you start getting back and start deciding, how involved am I going to be? What are the things I'm going to do that would nourish my spiritual life? Take a consideration of your own life and how you're living with God. God, uh, David, in chapter 5 of 2 Samuel, has taken the city of Jerusalem. Many people thought that was impossible. David pulled off the impossible, and he now is owner of the city of David, the city of God, Zion, that would become the centerpiece of where God resides among his people. He's got Jerusalem. He's taken his select men out and he's fought the Philistines and provided some security for the areas around Jerusalem. And now what he decides to do is to take those same men who do the fighting and the killing to defend and make safe the the land. I want to take those men and I want them to bring the Ark of the Covenant of God into the city and really make it God's residence. I want you to describe, I want to see how it's described in chapter 6. David again, 2 Samuel 6, 1, gathered all the chosen men of Israel. They're gearing up like they're going to fight, but it's not a fight. 30,000, and David arose and went with the people who were with him from Baal, Judah, to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the Lord of hosts, who sits enthroned on the cherubim. It's God's throne, y'all. This is where God sits between, on the atonement cover Oh, the angel wings spread out and it provides a seat where God sits. And from there, he resides among his people and makes atonement for them. That's what he says. It's called by the name of the Lord of hosts who sits enthroned on the cherubim. And they carried the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. Listen, when you live on a hill, you need to talk about it. We're the church on the hill. And when they want to know where the ark of God sat, it sits in Abinadab's house. Why? Because it's on a hill. This is where God is, y'all, on a hill. That's why we come up the hill on Sunday morning, gather around where God is. I'm stressing that just a little too much, but I, I can because I want to. And so this is where David decides it's time to bring God. Because here's the deal, guys. When this thing was built, it was to be in the Holy of Holies which was to be in the tabernacle, which was always to be in the middle of his people, whether they're traveling through the wilderness or whether they're stationary in camp, the ark of God is supposed to be in the middle of their lives. But for the last 70 years, 
It's been set off over in a corner, set aside, and it's not in the centerpiece. It's not anywhere in the influential areas of their lives. It's off on the peripheral fringes. That's where it's been. And when Saul was king, he never gave a thought. According to the text, he never gave a thought to to restoring the ark. And maybe that's why God became peripheral to his life. Maybe because he didn't have the ark there and he didn't have to mess with it. And maybe because he didn't have to come up the hill every Sunday morning. When you don't do that and when you cut that out of your life, suddenly you make God peripheral. That's why you need to come. That's why you need to go to the trouble of getting, to get, getting ready and putting yourself together and putting those clothes on and driving here. Yeah, I know the first of every, I know the first day of every week, it keeps God central. That's where he wants to be. The ark was meant to be in the middle of God's people. One way you can live your life, and we're going to look at three of them this morning. One way you can live your life is without much concern at all for God, at least not intimately. You can live the bulk of your life without much consideration or regard for God's presence and his place. You might come to worship, but you keep his presence daily very distant. He doesn't have much to say. He doesn't create any waves. He doesn't force any changes. And the reason we do this is we live our own lives and keep God on the side. This ark is a symbol of God's presence among his people, and it's a holy place. It was lost, and the reason why it was put in Abinadab's house is because the Philistines got a hold of it. The Israelites decided we lost this battle to the Philistines because we didn't have the ark. If we march the ark out there, you know, if we take God with us in our back pocket, he'll give us a victory. But instead, God let the, he let the ark be captured by the Philistines. A devastating day in Israelite history in the battle of Ebenezer. But it became a curse to the Philistines. You remember this? The Philistines got it. They put it in their temple. They messed around with it some. But what ended up happening is they started having plagues. They started having horrible tumors. Everybody was miserable. And they all put two and two together and came up with this. The reason this stuff is happening to us is because we have the ark of God among us. Let's get rid of it. They move it around, first of all. They kind of hot potato it to different cities. And everywhere it lands, those tumors and that plague comes. And they finally decide, we, we want to get rid of it. We do not want God in our midst. We can't handle the holy. And so they build a brand new cart and they put the ark. This is all 1 Samuel chapter 4 through 7. We put that ark, they put that ark on that brand new cart. They hooked to it two cows that have never been yoked together and never pulled anything. And they say, if this thing goes back to Israel, we know this was God. And sure enough, it went straight back to Israel. The Israelites and Beth Shemesh see it coming in the distance. They realize this two cows and this cart is hauling their ark, their prized presence of God. And they run out and they're excited and they're rejoicing and they're partying and they look in it and they die. Boom! 70 people wiped out. They didn't watch Raiders of the Lost Ark. Do you know how a face melts? You ever seen a face melt? That's what happens when you look in the Ark of God. They should have known this. And you know what they said? It struck some of the men of Beth Shemesh because they looked upon the Ark of the Lord. He struck 70 men of them. And the people mourned because the Lord had struck the people with a great blow. And the men of Beth Shemesh said, this is what they said. Who's able to stand with the Lord in their presence? And the next question is great. Where can we send it? 
Get it away from us. We don't want God here. He's too dangerous. He's too demanding. Let's find some place. And they found it. A man named Abinadab who lived up on the hill. They put it in a garage on his property and they forgot about it. They said, we can't handle God. And there's a lot of people like this. There's one group of people who say, you know, I just can't live with much concern for God. I can't. He's too demanding. He's too difficult. He costs too much money. He costs too much time. I have to rearrange my life. I have to change my behavior. If God comes into my life, he starts taking, reordering me, reorienting my life. How can I live with a holy God in my life? There's lots of people who feel this way. And there's lots of people who put God on the fringes because they just can't handle all that is required. Listen, we want God's blessing. We want God's presence. But when he comes to us, it also comes with his holiness and his power. And you must accommodate him. He wants to come into your life and he wants to be part of it. But listen, when he starts becoming part of your life, he starts making demands on you. We're told all the time on TV preachers, oh, salvation is free. God wants to give it to you. That's true. But the moment you accept it and the moment you receive it, God starts reordering your life. He starts changing things around. If you want him in your life, you've got to change some stuff to make room for him. And a lot of people decide, I'd I don't want to. I kind of like my life the way it is. So I'm going to move God to the, to the edges. I'm going to put him in my attic or get a storage facility and put it over there to where I still have him, but he's not really in my daily life. I can understand that. He's sort of like electricity. Or when I discovered when I was one year old, he's sort of like an uh, escalator an escalator with those moving steps how wonderful is that everybody loves the escalator because you don't have to make as much effort you get on it and you ride it but i'm going to tell you something if you play around with that thing it will take your fingers off i'm proof i've got a half a pinky because of it but it paid off college and so i'm looking for one for abby where's an escalator where is she you know let's put her electricity it's a wonderful thing it lights and it gives us all this stuff but listen you mess around with that without respecting what it is it will burn your house down and electrocute you. There's just same things about God. He's easy. He's simple to understand, but he reorients your whole life. And so maybe the best thing for some people, and they conclude this, is let's just put him to the peripheral, the fringes of my life where he doesn't make much demand. But you know, there's another way you can view it. There's another party of people who decide, you know, I think I want to, I want, and they're very enthusiastic about this. They want God in their lives. They like the idea of God in their lives. They want him. They want to walk with him, and they want him to be a daily presence, but it's on their own terms. I, I'll, choose, I'll choose what that means. So David, here he is building a new cart. You're going to notice that in verse, chapter 6, verse 3. They carried the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out to the house of Abinadab. And it was on the hill, and Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, were driving the new cart. So the sons of the guy who housed it are, 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 are escorting the cart with the ark of God. Ahio went before it. Uzzah was beside it. And David and all the house of Israel were celebrating. You get that? The people were thrilled that God's finally going to be back in the middle of our lives. We want him here. This is, we're the people of God. This is the city of God. We need the ark of God. It all makes sense. 
celebrating with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. This was obviously not a Church of Christ crowd. And they, all these people around playing these instruments, singing these songs, and it even dances, right? They came to the threshing floor, though. They were passing this certain area of the threshing floor of Nacon. When the oxen stumbled, there was a pothole. And Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God, took hold of it, the ark, he touched it, and God struck him there. Because of his, my ESV says, because of his error, and he died on the spot. They were enthusiastic. They wanted God. Why wouldn't God say, hey, if you're enthusiastic about me, you're sincere, you desire me, hey, I'll, I'll, I'm just so thrilled to be in your life, I'll take whatever. That's not the God you serve. You don't choose the conditions under which he will live. Many people want this. They, they, they really like the idea of God being in their lives. It's like a surfer, dude. I'd be awesome, dude. Right? I really want God in my life. And there's a lot of people in, the, in scriptures that will say, I want God if I could just get close to God. But everybody in the scripture who got close to God did not find it comfortable. They found it discomforting. You remember when Jesus cast the demons out of legion? What a wonderful thing. Rescued the guy, delivered the guy. He's back in his right mind. And the people come out to him. And what did they say to Jesus? Get out. We can't stand this kind of holiness here. Or Peter, when fished all night, didn't catch any fish. He was mending the nets and he was cleaning the nets. And Jesus said, cast them on the other side. He does. And he drags all these fish in. And he comes up to Jesus, jumps in the water, comes up to Jesus and says, get away from me. I'm a sinful man. I'm going to tell you, being close to God is not for the leery of heart. He doesn't just so delight in people who want him in their life that he'll take it, he'll take up residence regardless of what you do. That's not true. He comes with his holiness. He comes with his power. Not just his blessing and his presence. If you want him, you've got to accommodate him. It's sort of like you're delighting in the thought of a baby. And you finally are, are expecting and you, and you take months to get the nursery all right. Listen, I've got to tell you, everybody's going to start telling you, life's going to be very different now. You're going to love this baby, but this baby's going to rearrange everything. To accommodate that child, you've got to change your house, your finances, and everything else. And I want to tell you something, and we as a church know it, and as we share the gospel, we need to tell it. When you want God in your life, he's delighted to come in, but he's going to rearrange stuff. He's going to cause a difference in your schedule and your spending habits in how you relate to other people. Our God is a God who expects some knowledge. Here's what Paul said about the Jews in Romans chapter 10. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them, the Jewish people under the new covenant, is that they may be saved. He's saying the Jews who were God's people just months ago, years ago, are no longer saved. Is that what he's saying? That's what he's saying. They're not saved anymore. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God. They are zealous, enthusiastic. But notice what he says. But not according to knowledge. 
Yes, they love God and they want to serve God, but they don't want to come to him in knowledge. They don't want to be responsible for how God's revealed himself. God says, I want you, if you're going to have me in your life, you need to do your homework. You need to know what I love. You need to know what I hate. You need to know what I expect. The way he says in Philippians chapter 1, this is a prayer. It's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and discernment so that you may approve what's excellent. I want you to be blessed with great knowledge and discernment so you'll know what God wants, what God is like. Because if you think that just anything will do, it just isn't true. You cannot invite God into your life and then go on living as if it's just you. You gotta make room for him. Now what caused this with David? I wanna give a couple examples of what may have happened here. David's mistake was this. You have any idea why he might have put the ark on a new cart when he transported it? Why might he have done that? Because the Philistines 70 years before did that. That's how they put it back there. And all the Israelites remember that. And they say, well, that's, that's how they got it to us. Let's ask the other nations how we should move God. Let's ask everybody else around us. Oh, oh these people over here. Oh, I like the way you're worshiping God over here. I want to add that to our worship. I, I want to see what the world would find attractive. What, what's something about God that we could make attractive to the world? What does the world want? Let's take a poll. Let's take a poll. What is the way the wind blowing? What should we think about this? Well, what's this going to sound like in the world? How is the world going to receive this? And we take a poll of the world and we change God so that it will accommodate them. Stupid. That's ridiculous. God is who God says he is, and we conform to him, not the other way around. And so David, man after God's own heart, failed to consult the heart of God when he moved that ark and just thought, well, it worked back then for them. Let's just try this. And when you try to imagine God when you say, well, I, th- I just can't imagine God being that way. I don't really care about your imagination. No offense to you. It's not your imagination that's going to be my judgment. It's not your sensitivity to the culture's tastes that needs to drive your information about who God is and what God wants. It has to be God's own self-revelation. David did not do his homework, and he paid dearly. Actually, he didn't. Uzzah did, but you'll see in a minute, David did too. Second thing, Uzzah makes a mistake too. Uh, It's in the text. For his error, your version may say lack of respect or irreverence. Uzzah, this is no new, this is not an assignment that Uzzah just recently receives. Uzzah has been in the in the house of his father taking care of this ark for the last 70 years, some part of that at least. It's been in his garage, and so he has helped his father to take care of it. I don't know what that entails. There's no way to know this, but it's been in his yard, in his backyard all his life. As far back as he can remember, the ark has been part of their family life, and so he goes, does he clean it? Does he protect it? Does he make sure it's secure? I don't know what he does, but for years he has been around this ark. It's been part of his backyard. And if anybody knows this, 
things that are in your backyard ain't that great. You need to pay somebody $300,000 to come in and be a speaker from at least 300 miles away because people in your own hometown are too dumb to know what the lesson is, right? One of the worst parts about had the children's home in Paragould, it's so close to us, no one thinks about it. No one thinks about it. It's in our own backyard. How special can it be? One of the greatest efforts in the brotherhood is 25 miles from here. We don't think about it. It should be in our budget. I'm pushing here. I just poked the bear. Just letting you know. I don't do that and not say it. I'll just say it. It should be in our budget. I look at that stuff and I go, why is that not a big deal? Because it's in our backyard. And when it's in your backyard, familiarity breeds contempt. Have you heard of that before? You get so familiar with it, it can't be all that special. And so Uzzah, as he's going down here, here's a little pothole that shakes the, the new cart. And the ark maybe stammers just a little bit. And he needs to go up and he needs to stabilize God. God needs my help. I need to caretake about God. And he reaches up and he grabs it and God says, I don't need your help to stay upright. Your view of me is too small. Boom, he's gone right there on the spot. And everybody says, it's David's error. And it is David's error, but it's us's too. You know how we can do that? Let's watch our language and watch our attitudes sometimes. I am not saying anything bad about when we call it this. I'm just saying what it could lead to. When we talk about the communion elements in those little packets as being lunchables, it's, it's humorous. I know what you're saying. But be very careful. Just be careful. As Gary will tell you, because I used to say this every once in a while, it's a cracker and juice, and he'll cringe. He'll cringe right now. If you watch Gary James, he's cringing right now. Be careful the words you use to describe what we're doing here. And I know we do it every week. We've done it every week for our lives, and we can speed through it, and we cannot even think about it, and it is no big deal. It's a big deal. This is a big deal in their worship on Sunday morning. Listen, you're coming into the presence of God. We should issue crash helmets because you're about to come into the presence of God. But, you know, we fought so, we've fought so many years to argue that this space is not holy, that we got the message across, and there ain't nothing holy. You're coming into the presence of God by his invitation. I'm scared of this for my kids because my kids grew up with a dad as a preacher and, and we were at church all the time and it was just a rule in our house and I wonder, is, are they so familiar that it no longer packs the punch it's supposed to have? Now, don't take me wrong. The holy, I want it to be familiar. I want it to be a daily part of your life, the concept of holiness, of a holy God living in you. So I do not want to, you know, just, you know, let's do the Lord's Supper once a year to make it a little more meaningful. No, you don't have to sacrifice it. You do not have to sacrifice it to make it feel meaningful. Just make greater mental effort and give God what he needs. Every week this supper is holy and meaningful. It hasn't lost an iota of what it's meant to do in 2,000 years. Unless you let it. Uzzah, familiarity, bred contempt, or at least took the edge off appreciation for sure. And because of this, 
And these two experiences, they basically return to number one. David says, I can't live with it. Notice what David says as a result of this. The anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah. God struck him down there because of his error, and he died there beside the ark of God. And David was angry because the Lord had broken out against Uzzah, and that place was called Perez Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day, and he said, same words, basically, the people of Beth Shemesh said 70 years before. How can the ark of God come to me? How can this holiness be in my life? So David was not willing to take the ark of the Lord into the city of David, but David took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite, and they did exactly what they did 70 years before. Let's put it to the side in somebody's house and not bring it to the center. And many people do this. Because I can't have God on my terms, he starts reordering my life. Let's slip back to the first one and put God at the peripherals of our lives. Because we can't handle having a holy God in the midst of our lives. He rearranges stuff too much. He's dangerous. He's demanding. We can't have our schedule the way we want it when he's in our lives. So let's move him out. That's another move. I'm going to skip the next slide and go to that third position here. There is a third option. David, for three months, lives with that ark being at Obed-Edom's house, the Gittite. He's, at first, he says, I just can't move. I can't have it in my life. But, but he can't not have God in his life. He's too much a, a man of God, a, a person who wants God's center. And so he sits there for three months, and he tries to decide what went wrong. What, did we, what, did, what was amiss in this? How, how can I have a holy God in my life? How can, he, how can we be people of God and have him in our life but not be destroyed by him? How can that be? Well, he does his homework. The reason God gives us revelation in Scripture is so that we can live at peace with him. It's the whole reason he gave it. He wants, I want you to get this, God wants to be in your life in fact he initiated this relationship before you even know you knew it was broken God says I want so desperately to be involved and I want them to be able to confidently have me in their lives it's like electricity all he wants the lights to come on but he doesn't want the electricity to, to destroy us so how's he going to do that he gives us revelation but we have the responsibility of staying in that revelation so David, for three months, does his homework. And he says, now I'm ready to try this again. You don't get this in 2 Samuel 6. But you do get it in 1 Chronicles chapter 15. Three verses in particular. David said, we're going to bring the ark up again three months later. We're going to Obed-Edom's house. We're going to bring it up. He has the same celebration. He has the same instruments. He has the same sense of excitement and the singing and the dancing and all that takes place. All that excitement is still there. Enthusiasm is not wrong. We need a little more of it, church. A little more enthusiasm. But it must be based on truth. And so he says, 1 Chronicles 15, David said, okay, we're going to do this again, but no one but the Levites may carry the ark of God, for the Lord has chosen them to carry the ark of the Lord and to minister to him forever. I blundered the first time, David says. The Levites, not just the Levites, but a particular 
group of the Levites must carry this. Now he knows that. He didn't realize it before. He does now. Uh, Because you did not carry it the first time, the Lord our God broke out against us because we did not seek him according to the rule. He's done his homework. You get this right? He's done his homework now. And the Levites carried the ark of God on their shoulders with poles, as Moses had commanded, according to the word of the Lord. If you know, if you've ever built, you've seen anybody with any kind of version of the ark, it has the poles in the t- it has these holes, these, these rings in the corners. Listen, you started reading through the Bible in a year, right? Everybody wants to read through it in a year. You start in Genesis. By Exodus, your eyes are closed, glossed over, and you don't even know what you just read. All the details of the colors and the etchings and all that stuff. But there's this weird detail in there about putting these rings in the corners of the Ark of the Covenant and the gold poles. And certain priests that put the poles through there carry it on their shoulders. You never put it on a cart. God was very clear how he wanted it moved. And no amount of sincerity will overcome disobedience. The Levites carried that on their shoulders with those poles. They got that ark back there. They celebrated. They put it in a tent that David had for it, and now it's back in the centerpiece of the people of God. Now, after they've done their homework, they realize that if they will pay attention to the revelation of God, they can have this intimate, real, transforming walk with God, but they got to stay up on their revelation. Why do we have Bible classes so much? And why do we stress it so much? And why after a year and a half are we saying, yeehaw, we're back in Bible class? Why is that? Because a year without scripture makes us carry arcs in wagons. With a submissive, informed enthusiasm, David tries again. And they get the ark where it needs to go, and God is front and center. One of the weird things about Hebrews, and about, in particular, but also about the New Testament, is how we're told to go confidently and boldly into the presence of God, but you better do so humbly. How can you do both? How can we come up the hill on Sunday mornings and be bold and confident as we enter the presence of God and know that we're pleasing him and yet be humble about it? How do you do that? And the answer is God, by his invitation, wants you here. He longs for the worship of his people, but he's told us what he wants in that worship. And if you'll come giving him what he's asked for in his revelation, there's no reason in the world you can't come boldly and confidently into his presence and know you're pleasing him and receiving from him strength for another week. You can do both, but you better be humble. So what kind of life are you living then? This is Evaluation Sunday as we're getting back into reinserting ourselves into these things that will feed our lives. Do you live without much concern for God? Has this time caused you to move God to the side? And he's no longer really central. He's just kind of there as a general presence. Do you walk with God enthusiastically thinking, oh man, I love being with God. But, but you, know, you know that there's certain things you're doing on your own terms, not his. Eventually, you'll slip back into that first one. 
But I hope what you'll choose is this third one. Have a walk with God that's intimate and real and transforming where you do your homework and you stay in the revelation and you know what God wants and what he cares about, you care about. What burdens him, burdens you. What he doesn't like, you don't like. What he loves, you love. That, that is the image we take on. As you look into his presence, you, your face will become more like his. Second Peter chapter 1, his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of the one who called us. We have what we need to know to invite a holy God into the midst of our lives and know he'll be pleased and he will bless us. But that brings danger if we ever give up that knowledge or forget it. This morning, maybe you want to start a walk with God you've never had before. You need to name Jesus as the Lord of your life. Bow your knee into his presence and be immersed. Your sins be forgiven. Rise to walk a new life and live that victorious life. If you've done that, and for whatever reason, you've moved God to the edges. He doesn't really have a major role in your life. You're just kind of playing a game. Move him center. God's ready to be moved if you'll do it right. And he will enter your life and be part of it and change you forever if you invite him in on his terms. And this morning you have another opportunity as we stand and as we sing. <clears throat>